Good morning again. How's everyone doing today? Good. We are in our At The Movies series. If you're our guest, first of all, if you're our guest, you're watching online, welcome. I'm Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Anchor Church. Glad to have you. Um, we are smack dab in the middle of our At The Movies series. And um, so when I started the, the series at the beginning of July, I read this Bible verse. And this is kind of the, this is kind of the theme of the whole series is uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 34. It says, in fact, in his public ministry, his is, is Jesus, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables. But afterward, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. And a parable is just a story. It's a made-up story to communicate about the issues of the day. And if you think about it, that's what movies are. Movies are just grand scale parables to talk about issues of the day. And we are using this series to see if we can find faith and, and godly principles in movies. And so today we're continuing in that series. But um, fortunately, we have a, a, a special guest bringing the word today. He's a, a friend. Um, uh, please welcome to the platform, Eric Spanier. Well, good morning, everybody. All right, I'm using a football movie, so come on, you, you're a football fan. Good morning, everybody. All right, I know it's baseball season, and it's not really loud during a baseball game, but we'll get there. But yeah, my name's Eric, and I'm joined here by my lovely wife, Tiffany, and three out of our four kids are here, too, so thank you so much for your hospitality. Thank you to Ryan and his team. I just got to say, uh, I love when I get to visit churches I'm kind of like a spy a little bit. I look around and see what I like, and I like what I see. You guys are welcoming. You're uh, professional. You do things with excellence. I got to say, I got to give it up to the, the creative team, the media team. Sometimes you don't know that they're there until something goes wrong, right? Uh, I wish I had a team like that all the time, man. I have somebody saying, what do you think of this slide? What do you think of this clip? I'm like, man, those are things that I think about, and they're thinking about it before I think about it. So uh, you guys have an excellent team. You've got an excellent pastor who loves this church. You guys love your community. So thank you so much for what you do for the kingdom, for this community. And I think that's everything Pastor Ryan asked me to say. So I'll give him, just kidding, he didn't do that. Uh, but I, I love movies. Anybody love movies? Now, do you love movies so much that you have a couple movies that you will watch it as many times as possible, no matter what, even if it's on TV and everybody else in your family rolls their eyes and says, are we watching this again? And you emphatically say, yes, we are. I have those movies, and I have things called DVDs. I don't, maybe in our crowd we know what DVDs are. Remember VHSs? Be kind and please rewind. Good job. So I loved going to Blockbuster when I was a kid, even though it smelled disgusting and we had popcorn at home. That's what my mom used to say all the time. I want to buy that popcorn. We have popcorn at home. But I love movies and I love uh, stories. And this movie that we're talking about today uh, is a true story that happened in 1970. And uh, it, it's a story that gripped the nation at that time. It's a story that we have a lot to learn from. Before we watch the trailer for the movie, I just want to let you know where we're going in Scripture we're going to go to the book of James. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you have a physical Bible, smart Bible, uh, whatever you want to use, I'll be reading out of the book of James. Just in the first chapter there, we're going to be looking at verses 2 all the way through 18, but I'm just going to read a couple verses this morning, and then we'll watch the trailer together. James says this in verse 2 of chapter 1. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, and let's put sisters in there too, right ladies? Okay. 
You guys were really excited about the women's conference, and now that I put some stuff in there for you. But consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith will develop perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if I could condense this passage of Scripture down into one singular sentence, here's what I want to keep getting into our hearts today. Trials are going to come. I didn't expect an amen. That's okay. Trials are going to come. But here's what we can learn. We can count them as joy. Why? Because God's good. We can. Trials are going to come. But we can count them as joy because God is good. And now I want to let you know that we're uh, talking about the movie We Are Marshall. So go ahead and check out this trailer. Griffin, let's go. I love you, Chris Griffin. One hey, that was a big hit today. I'm proud of We are Marshall. Almost home. What's happened? All 75 people are dead <laughs> in the greatest disaster in college sports history. This is our team. I think you should have this back. Chris gave it to you. <laughs> I promised mothers that I'd look after their sons. There's not one of them left. You might cancel the program. This ain't right. I'm sorry. A Jacqueline Gale called. Says he may be interested in the open coaching job. Why do you want this job? When I heard about what had happened, the only thing I could think about was how bad it would hurt if I was to lose before them. Then I thought, hell, maybe I can help. This is my varsity team, huh? It's a new day, man. We gotta get creative about who we're going after. Can we take the bubble? No, sir. Rough it! You think you're the only one that's had it rough? We're not honoring him, Jack. We're disgracing him. This is not about a game. This is about what happened to this town. There's something I think y'all need to hear. cannot forget that. This is your opportunity to rise from these ashes. Funerals in today. One day we're going to be like every other team where winning is everything and nothing else matters. And when that day comes, that's when we'll honor them. What day is it, son? Game day. What day? Game day. Time to play till the whistle blows. It was November 14, 1970, when a plane carrying the Thundering Herd football team, athletic department, coaches, boosters, and announcers tragically crashed just miles outside of the town of Huntington, West Virginia. Uh, every soul on board passed that day. And the town of Huntington, West Virginia has the school, Marshall University, right in the middle of it. And they had a choice to make uh, in the midst of this tragedy of funeral after funeral after funeral, what will we do? What's going to happen next? And it's a beautiful story of a coach from Wooster, Ohio. One of my favorite lines in the movie is, this is the only coach that called for the job, and the president of the university said, where's Wooster? And his secretary says, does it matter where Wooster is? He wants the job. And so this guy comes in into an impossible situation, 
and tries to instill hope into a community that wasn't ready to have some hope because they were facing trials. And he's trying to be there, a very joyous person, to say, what can we do? How can we move on from this? So when we talk about trials and temptations and struggles and difficulties, uh, here's what I love about the Bible. It doesn't really sugarcoat anything. It's very real. If anyone was trying to make the best side of Christianity come out, the best side of our faith, they didn't do a good job in Scripture. It shows the raw, real side of life. Remember, James doesn't say, if you experience trials, or if you're part of this small group that might face something, that's not reality. The truth is that it's not if you go through trials, it's when. So he says, whenever you face trials of what? Many kinds. So what's James talking about? Difficult marriages? I think that fits under many kinds. What about being sick and in pain? I think that fits. What about rebellious children that walk away from God? I think that fits. What about financial struggles or mental health problems, anxiety, depression, not even being able to get out of bed in the morning trying to figure out where we're going? I think that fits. Now, for some of us in this room, I think there's a a couple different groups. For some of us, trials, temptations, struggles, difficulties... It's not something that we're talking about in the future. You're in it right now. And I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you woke up this morning and decided to come to church. But for others of us, the storm might be brewing off the coast a little bit. And it's coming. So either you've gone through a storm and you're glad to be out of it. You're in it now. Or there's one coming. The great thing about the Bible is that it meets us where we are right now. Because the Bible does teach us that the world is not sterile. It's messy. People get sick. People die. People get betrayed. People get wrongly accused. People grow weary to the point where they just lose heart. But by the grace of God, we can endure. And for this first clip that we're going to go to from the movie We Are Marshall, I just want you to see the emotion that this town went through right after the crash, the funeral upon funeral that this town had to go through and the choice that they had to make. So let's watch this first clip together. Smile 
and be with us. This is our faith. This is our hope. Amen. there was sound. Now there was silence. Now shattered. Most of them would prefer not to think about it. I can understand that sentiment. Doesn't make sense to rush right back into it, you know? Our coaching staff, gone. Our athletic department, gone. So many of our boosters, gone. We have to start all over again from scratch. My God, we don't have the resources or the manpower right now. I know all the reasons to suspend the program, Paul. I'm just surprised to hear it coming from you. This town just didn't lose a football team, Doc. We lost doctors, lawyers, city councilmen. We lost fathers, sons, husbands. How many kids lost a parent? How many kids lost both parents? 28. Wouldn't be a game anymore, Don. Be a weekly reminder of what we'd lost. And I just don't see how that would do anyone in this town any good. Somebody's going to have to tell them, Paul. So Marshall University had a choice to make. What were they going to do in the midst of all of this? When there's a constant reminder, if they would even field another football team, it would be a weekly reminder of what they've lost. And for some of you, it's only maybe even a sound that you hear or a name that you hear, a smell a memory, that it's a constant reminder of what's going on. But I want to give you good news because you can receive strength and peace that does pass understanding. You can have your heart strengthened through trials. You can have a joy that transcends some of the most horrific and overwhelming circumstances imaginable. And so we say, well, how do we do this? Well, James tells us it's not something we like to hear. He says, consider it what? Joy when you face trials of many kinds. Not only are we going to have trials, but the command that James is talking to us, the little brother of Jesus, he says, I want you to have joy in the midst of it. And I really think what James is telling us is that there is a right way to view the trials in our life. It's as if God's giving you a heads up today. Things are going to happen that don't make sense. And in the midst of it, we have a choice to make like this town had a choice to make. We can stop blaming God and we could maybe accept what he might be doing. Now, I don't want to get you in trouble, but how many of you have ever been in a fight before? I'm not talking like a, an argument. I'm talking like a real fight. Anyone ever been in a fight before? Don't be ashamed. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. I'm not going to tell your pastor. He's not turning around. It's all right. Now, if you've ever been in a fight before, you know that if you know the fight is coming, you feel better prepared, right? You don't want to get sucker punched. You don't want someone to come up behind you. If you know you're going to be in a fight, you have a better chance of winning that fight. So I'm telling you today, I'm giving you a heads up. You're about to go into a fight. Trials are going to come, and you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to grit your teeth, and you're going to have to fight. But the good news is James helps us. He doesn't just say one of those church sayings on a coffee mug, like, oh, you're going through trials. Just consider it joy. Anyone love when people do that? 
Like they just come up to you and they're like, oh, God bless you. It's going to get better. And you're like, but how? What's gonna... That's what James does. Very, very practical. He tells you what's going to happen. He gives you some views that you should have. He gives you some uh, heads up of what's going to happen. And, and in verses 3 and 4, the first view he wants you to have with trials is that they're actually a pathway to maturity. Trials are a pathway to maturity. He says in verses 3 and 4, because you know that the testing of your faith will develop what? Perseverance. And perseverance finishes its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I know none of us would sign up for a trial, but if you've ever been on the other side of a big test in your life, a big uh, emotional turmoil, you understand that if you did it right, you learned something. Now, let's go beyond spiritual for a little bit and just have a real conversation. How have you matured in life? I mean, how do you grow in life? Hopefully, some of you are not still thinking of life through your five-year-old brain, right? Some of you are understanding life a little bit more now. If you are still thinking as a five-year-old man, you've got no worries in life at all other than when your next meal's coming and what time cartoons start. That's, I would love that. But we mature, we grow by falling and stumbling. Growing for us, even when it's physically, intellectually, emotionally, it's because we learn by falling and failing and making mistakes. My grandparents used to say all the time that you learn what not to do because you scraped your knees, right? You got a scar, not going to do that again. But some of us, if we're honest, we learn by thinking that we were right in a situation only to find out that you were absolutely wrong. I wonder why they call them growing pains. That's how we mature. We all understand that in life. Now, do we believe that we would mature spiritually any differently? Some of us want all that God has for us, but we want to take the easiest path possible. But the Bible tells us you believe and you mature and you grow in your faith with trials, with difficulty, and with suffering. And so Marshall University had a choice to make. Are we going to rebuild this thing? Are we going to mature through this? Are we going to get stronger? And what I love that this coach comes in and he starts to say things like, you know what? There's a first time for everything. What better way than a town that is devastated, a school that's devastated, people that don't even think they should put a team back out on the field, and he becomes the most creative person and says, we're going to take this trial, we're going to grow through it, and we're going to be the thundering herd one more time. And so I want you to see what he, he has a conversation with a coach, and then he has a conversation with the president of the university, and listen to some words on here. He tells them that they can get back on track, and he shows them, hey, let's be creative because there's a first time for everything. So now there's some hope building in Marshall University. Let's watch this together. At first year, I went out and I got us, got us 20 kids. Went to 20 homes, sat in 20 living rooms. And I promised 20 mothers that I'd look after their sons. They'd have been the class of 73. There's not one of them left. So let me ask you, Jack, how am I supposed to ever look a mother in the eye and promise her anything ever again? I don't know, Ben. I just don't think I can take that field again, Jack.
Is that the uh, Ohio Valley Coal Line? The same one that went off the tracks near Akron last winter? Yep. That's the one. Back on track. It, it, it's already April. Time is not our friend. Let, let me ask you a question. Are you married? Yes, I am. 25 years in May. 25 years. I am willing to bet that you didn't propose over the phone. No, I didn't. Okay, and I know damn well that she didn't say yes in a letter. You're an outlaw, pioneer, gunslinger. This is a whole new game, Doc. <laughs> you. You. There's a first time for everything, Don. And if we're going to survive, this has got to be one of those first times. And you're the only man that can do it. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, I'm, I'm sorry to bother you like this. But my name is Don Dedman. I'm president of Marshall University. May I speak with you for a moment, please? What are you doing in Kansas City, Don? My town and my school were hurt. We want to play football. And we cannot do it without your help. Guess who's going to change our diaper? So sometimes you got to do things that have never done before in order to get through some of the toughest things in life. Coach Jacqueline Gell was able to put an entire football coaching staff together, even to get the former assistant coach to come back for one year. He was able to recruit people to join Marshall University. Now, you'll see a lot when you recruit, they were right near West Virginia University, the Mountaineers, which I don't like the Mountaineers, and my team, Penn State, is going to thump them this year, but we'll talk about that later. But they kept losing recruits because everyone else's program was better. And it's hard to believe it in the 1970s and before then, no freshman could play any collegiate sports. It was almost like a redshirt year. You had to sit, even if you were the greatest recruit ever, and Jacqueline Gell said, why don't we petition the NCAA just for us so that we can rebuild this team. Let's see if we can put freshmen on the field. So they called and they wrote letters. And then you saw there that the, the president of the university went to the NCAA. And for the first time in history of collegiate sports, Marshall University was the first team that could play freshmen. And they saw the impact that it made. And three years later, it became a rule for all colleges and universities that they could play freshmen. They said, you know what, we're going to take this and we're going to make the best out of it. We're going to be mature. We're going to be complete. We're going to grow. We're going to figure this out. And I love this quote from A.W. Tozer when he talks about the things that we go through. He says, the unplowed field is smug, contented, and protected from the shock of the plow and the agitation of being broken up. Such a field as it lies year after year becomes safe and undisturbed. It sprawls lazily in the sunshine, the picture of sleepy contentment, but it pays a price for its tranquility. Never does it see the miracle of growth. Fruit it can never know because it is afraid of the plow. 
In direct opposite of this, the cultivated field has yielded itself to the adventure of living. The plow has come, and plows always come. Practical, cruel, businesslike, and in a hurry. Peace has been shattered by the shouting farmer and the heavy machinery. The field has felt the travail of change. It has been upset, turned over, bruised, and broken. But its rewards come hard upon its labors. New things are born to grow and mature. Nature's wonders follow the plow. See, those of us who have been through a lot of these things, we know best the results that come from experiencing trial if we keep the right perspective. If we say, I'll go through suffering, I'll go through difficulty, I'll let the plow come. You know what you get? Maturity. You learn how to persevere. You get a new perspective. You get new appreciation for life. And I promise you that you'll get peace. The plow shows you what it takes to step into the life that God has for you. The trials and suffering are paths to maturity. So that's view number one. Trials really help us on the path to maturity. View number two, James is telling us, is really trials are going to help you become aware of your need for God. Real simple. He says in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Hey, look, why don't we pull the veil back a little bit into our hearts? Because I know this to be true for me, possibly for you. When everything is going great, everything is like we want it, very few of us always have our minds and hearts set on the Lord because things are going good. But if everything goes right in life, sometimes mistakenly we say, I did that. But if everything goes wrong, God did it. It's his fault. Why would God let this happen to me? So what James is saying is, hold on a second. Trials and suffering should make you aware of God and not cause you to blame him. Because trials and suffering should really be a catalyst for the thing that causes you and me to turn to God and declare, help me understand this. I don't get it. What are you doing? This isn't the path that I chose. What is going on? We become aware that we've needed God all along, and hopefully we get to the point and say, you know what, God, I don't understand this. But I know that you must be maturing me. You're chiseling me. You're shaping me. You're forming me more into the image of Jesus. And unfortunately, I'm getting what I need. It might not be what I want, but this is what I need. Here's the awareness, I think, that James wants for us, that God wants for us, and the trials that we face. Listen carefully to this one. If we get Jesus and lose everything else, we have everything. If we get Jesus and lose everything else, I want you to know you've gotten everything. But if you get everything and you don't have Jesus, you've lost everything. Trials are going to help you find God. So he's helping us with these views these perspectives, these lenses that we should wear. But then James tells you to roll up your sleeves and put the tape on because you're about to get into a fight. And there's going to be two fights that you're going to face. Fight number one is this, the fight of doubt. Anyone ever doubt yourself or God in the midst of a trial? Real easy. James says this, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. The man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. 
He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So it's as if God wants us to say, you know what, God, give me wisdom, increase my faith, but kill my doubt. Get rid of the doubt in my heart. It's like the story in the book of Mark, chapter 9, where Jesus encounters a man who has a son who's demon-possessed. And he actually goes to Jesus and say, hey, I went to your disciples and they couldn't pray this demon out. What can you do? And in desperation, this man comes to Jesus in verse 22 of Mark 9. He says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And I love what Jesus says. He says, if you can, everything is possible for him who what? Believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed. He didn't say, thank you. He didn't say, awesome. He says, I do believe, but help me overcome what? My unbelief. Strangest encounter I think I've ever seen with somebody with Jesus. I believe, but help me in my unbelief. I don't know if you've been to a point of that, but you believe in God. You can say all of the right things, pray all the right prayers, but there's that doubt inside your heart. You're saying, God, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Now, that might scare us. That might make us think that we're not measuring up to the the man or woman of God wants us to be. But I, I want you to understand this. I think God steps into that space and into that faith, into that honesty, and he says, you know what? I'm going to start working in your life. Help me overcome my unbelief. I don't understand what's going on. I don't believe what's going on. I can't do this. We're always going to have this fight. But what we do know is that God honors the fight. Now, the one phrase that sticks out to me that James says, he says, you become a double-minded man. And it's a Greek phrase that James is using. It's actually a picture of somebody that's trying to walk in two different directions at the same time. Or when you go out with your children and they all want something different and they're all trying to go into, if you've been there before, right? We're all going to go to the mall. We're going to have fun. And no, it's all different. If you have more, then you've got, you know, quadruple-minded. I don't know the, the number five. We only have four. No five. We're good. But it's as if you're moving in two different directions at the same time. And that's the phrase that James uses. He says, some of you know, and he's really, he's writing to a strong church, to a strong group of churches. And he's saying, some of you know and you believe, but you have doubt at the same time. You're being pulled in two different directions. And really, I think what he's saying is sometimes we'll get to the point where we say things like this. You know what? I'm not even going to worry about this anymore because God's not going to help me anyway. Anyone ever been to that point before? I've been there. You know what? God didn't help me last time. Didn't answer my prayer last time the way that I thought. I'm not going to worry about it now because this must be my lot in life. This is life now. There is no hope. I pray that you don't get to the point where you won't even cry out to God anymore because you might think that he won't even help you. Now, some of us get really good at this. We have that inner struggle, but we'll give lip service to God on a Sunday morning, pretending like everything's together, but you're broken on the inside. James is calling us out saying, stop living like a double-minded man. Quit pretending. Quit shoving that trial and that tribulation and that anxiety and that depression and that thing that's just weighing you down. Stop pushing it to the side. Stop stuffing it. Bring it to the light and deal with it. Some of you need permission today, and I needed permission in a really tough time in my life. Some of you need permission today. It's okay to stop acting like everything's okay. 
I love what one of my favorite preachers says. He says, you know what? It's okay to not be okay. It is. If you struggle with something, bring it to the light. Because you know what the enemy loves? He loves to keep things in the dark. But when you bring it out to the light, it's going to be a fight. You're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to overcome some things. And stop hiding the train wreck of your life from people. I'm not saying you've got to post it all over social media. I would actually say don't post it all over social media. Find one or two people to say, you know what? I'm not okay. I need perspective on this. I need you to help me. I, need, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm going in two different directions at the same time. And from an introvert like me who doesn't like to let people in, very few people have access to that, but when you do it, man, is it freeing. It brings so much freedom. It brings so much clarity. It's like this huge weight has been lifted off your shoulders. I mean, there was a weight that was on my shoulders. Some of it I didn't even know, but it was there for my whole life. And when I started to let people in, it brought perspective. It brought healing. It brought freedom. In fact, I got to the point where I didn't know that this is how you could live life because I had gotten so ingrained in the struggles that I had that I thought that's how life was supposed to be. But then when you bring it into the light and you deal with it, things turn around. And I would tell this to our congregation all the time, and I would tell it to you guys. I would say stop letting people into your pain after it's already gotten out of control. Let them in early. You know, people would come to me as a pastor, and it was almost like their situation and their pain and all of it was like already in the ICU, and there's nothing I can do about it. And I would say, well, how long have you been struggling with this? Oh, it's been 28 years. Well... You might need somebody more than a pastor that went to a four-year Bible college. You might need to bring somebody else into this. But let people in. And, and, you know, Marshall University, they were able to recruit freshmen. Uh, It gave them an advantage in recruiting. I mean, they weren't the greatest football team at that time. In fact, they were the youngest team per average in all of the NCAA. And so they went into that very next season, and uh, their very first game was an away game. And wouldn't you know... They lost. And that loss not only made people upset that, okay, now we're starting the season 0-1, but do you know what happened? It brought back the flood of emotions and the pain of everyone that said, you know what? I'm just going to stuff this. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to get past it. I don't want to heal. I just want to move forward. I don't want to think about it anymore. And the entire town almost imploded on itself after this loss. The coaching staff that had survived, they they, they were on a recruiting trip. They weren't on the airplane. They started crumbling. The school board started crumbling. The university second-guessed themselves. Should we have put a team on that field at all? In fact, it got so uh, fiery red hot that the school board president fired the president of the university And I want you to see this scene because this is a turning point in the movie because it's a feel-good movie and all of a sudden, okay, Marshall's out there, the young thundering herd, they're getting back out there, but it takes one reminder of what they've lost and watch how things begin to crumble in this next clip. You didn't know Rick, Tully. I did. And on on the day that he died, he said, the only thing that they judge us on, the only thing that counts is winning. Nothing else matters. So what do we do? How are we honoring their memory? We put together a team that doesn't win. Can't win. Not this week, not this season. Hell, maybe not ever. 
We're not honoring them, Jack. We're disgracing them. I'm done. The board voted you out this morning. What? May I ask why? Come on, Doug. You were always a temporary solution. You set yourself out the rolling design. You were just a band-aid, remember? Is this about the football program, Paul? The crash just put two gambies on. It's not just the, the team that's bleeding. It's not just the school. It's the entire town. Do you have any idea what it's like for Annie right now? She can't read the paper. She can't watch the news. She can't even go to work without being reminded of football. Which reminds her of the crash. Which reminds her of my dead start. Oh, this isn't about football, is it? And this isn't about Annie. And this isn't about the town at all. This is about the loss of your son. And I'm sorry. But until you find the strength to deal with that pain, nothing's going to get any better. No matter how many presidents you fire, Paul. So between week one... And week two of that season, it became a very real reality that they may just put everything together and, and put it away. We're not going to play football anymore. But they weren't willing to fight. A few people were. The almost too positive coach was ready to fight. And what they were doing is that they weren't believing that things could get better. And that's what I want you to see in trials, that you've got to get ready to fight that doubt. In verses 9 through 12, there's another fight. James talks about comparison. Talks about uh, the rich and the, and the poor and then people that compare themselves to each other. He says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And I just want you to understand something. Uh, this isn't a published sociological study. It's just a sociological study that I think I've done. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, social media, they can lead to a lot of bad things for you. Depression, anxiety, comparison. Because when you look at that, I think, what well, yeah, everybody else's marriage is awesome. Their kids are incredible. Look, they're smiling for pictures. My kids all look a different way, and they punch each other and pinch each other. They've got the perfect job. They've got the money. They never struggle. No pain, no sorrow. When you're sitting in your trial, you begin to resent what you see around you. Why me, Lord? What about them? What did I do to deserve all this? In the midst of a trial, I think the insidious parts of our hearts are exposed, and the fight of comparison is how it plays out. When you and I are in trials, we become hyper-aware of the prettiness of other people's lives. And we resent them. We buy into this lie that others must be exempt from trial. They're the only ones not going through anything. We resent them. We turn away from them. And, in resent, and, in, and really what we do is we turn away from God. I would say this about social media watching other people. Don't believe the hype and don't believe the highlight reel. Everyone endures trials and struggles. Don't become like that older brother in the parable of the prodigal son who said to his dad, you know what, I've been here the whole time. Why does he get a party? Well, because he was lost and now he's found. James goes on to say, when you're tempted, don't say that God is tempting me. 
God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one, when is tempted by how his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. James is letting us know the progression in our hearts that could happen. Here's what should happen. We need to see our trials as a path to maturity. To understand that they make us aware of who God is and what he can do for us. On top of that, he's warning us, you've got to be careful because you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to fight doubts. You're going to have to fight comparison. And if you aren't careful, if you don't embrace this process, he tells us right here, you will be tempted and drawn away, incited by your own desire, and you will betray God's invitation to maturity. You'll focus on what you want and what you think you deserve, and you won't even realize it, but you'll give in to temptation You'll, you'll get these bad habits in your hearts. You'll be enticed towards sin, and that sin will lead to death. James is warning us, the overwhelming struggle and fight from trials could lead you further away from God than you ever wanted to be if you don't trust that process. So he ends with encouragement. In verses 16 to 18, he says, Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. I have a question for you. Are you in the midst of a trial? Are you struggling? Are things overwhelming right now? Don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. James is warning you. It's the pathway to maturity. It helps you see God. He's warning you of the fight that you need. If you don't understand his process, he's warning you your flesh is going to tempt you and you're going to believe that God isn't good. Really what James is saying is don't be fooled because this good and perfect gift that's known as a trial is coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. One of the greatest anchors for our souls. No, I didn't put that in there because you guys are anchor church. That wasn't a little plug. But one of the greatest anchors for our souls in the midst of trials and suffering is going to be this, the goodness of God over our lives. That has to be your anchor. I don't like this. I don't understand this. I didn't sign up for this. But I'm not going to be deceived. I'm not going to let my flesh get the best of me. I'm going to let this mature me and grow me. I'm going to let myself see what is God doing in the midst of this. I'm going to get my fighting gloves on now because I'm going to have to fight doubt. I'm going to have to fight comparison. And if I don't fight those, then I'm going to have to fight my own insidious heart that's going to lead me away from God. This is what James is telling us, that things are going to come and how you respond to it is how you're going to uh, set up the trajectory of the rest of your life. Now, some of us are saying, you know, I'm not ready for that. I, you know, I probably disgust God with how I respond to trials. I haven't been perfect in the midst of trials at all. You know, some, some of the most meaningful people in my life will come and say, well, I'm praying for you. I'm like, you know what, I can tell, I'll tell you where you can put your prayers. I don't want them right now. Or did you know that the Bible says, yeah, I know what the Bible says. I don't. See, some of us don't deal with it well, and we think because of how we used to deal with it that we can't do it anymore, that we fall short. You know, I, I can't believe anymore. I wrestle with doubt. I can't believe I gave in to that temptation. I, I, I gave up on God. I'm not worth his time. I'm not worth his love. I'm not worth his grace. Those are great words, Pastor Eric, but I can't do it anymore. 
I want you to understand what James says in verse 18 again. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we would be the first fruits of all he created. He chose you and me in spite of everything. No matter how you've responded before, you're still his son or daughter. Now the best way I think I can put this is God is our father. And if you're a dad, I didn't know, now that I have four kids, I know uh, how the doctor's office works. But with our first one, I think my wife knew before I did. She was like, hey, I just need you to take him to his appointment this week. I'm like, sure, I can do that. Why, why am I taking him by myself? Well, lo and behold, I didn't know. It was shot day. And that's why I was taking my son to go get shots. And if you've ever been a parent trying to talk your kids into going to the doctor and that, oh, shots are a great thing. No, I'm 37, almost 38. I don't like shots either. Don't touch me. Don't put that needle in my arm. It's not meant to go there. But there's been times where I've had to, you know, these nice nurses who've probably done 100 shots that day. They're like, oh, dad, just hold his arms down, hold his legs down, put your arm across his chest. Like, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, am I putting this kid in a submission? Like, but they knew what they were doing. And, you know, I remember when my daughter broke her arm and had to go to the hospital. Man, she was scared. I was trying to hide the fact that I was also scared. And she had to go to surgery and all this kind of stuff. And just trying to calm her down and help her to see that on the other side of this surgery on your arm, things are going to be okay. You know what I think? A lot of us are like kids at the doctor being pinned down by our, lovingly, our loving Heavenly Father. We scream. We don't want to go through it. We don't understand why we have to endure this pain, but God in his strong arms, he's holding us down saying, you're going to get healthy, you're going to mature, you're going to grow, you're going to get stronger. I have something for you that you will not hear any other way unless you go through this pain. You've got to go through this and I'm right here. So are you struggling with a trial? Are you fighting doubt? Are you fighting comparison? Here's what I would say. You can kick and scream all you want. You can shake your fist at God. You can be like that little kid that gets out from their dad's arms, flings open the doctor's door, and runs like a crazy madman through the waiting room. And you can refuse the process that God is putting you through, or you can hold still and let him do what he wants to do. You can understand the trials are going to come. You can count it as joy, and you can trust that God has a plan and that God is good. I want to end with this clip, and then we'll, we'll come up and talk to, together. But I want you to know Marshall University, the movie We Are Marshall, does end on a good note. And it, it's, I think it's inspiring for all of us. I want you to hear the words of uh, Coach Jack Lingill and how he inspired his team to move forward from this trial. He was right, you know. Who was right? Your boy, Tolly? Winning is everything and nothing else matters. I mean, I've, I've said that so many times myself. I, I lost count. You know, and it doesn't matter in what sport, and it doesn't matter what country. Any coach who's worth a darn in this business believes those words. Fact. And then I came here. And for the first time in my life, hell, maybe for the the first time in the history of sports, suddenly it's just not true anymore. He's not here, not now, no. You see, 
Fred, it doesn't matter if we win or if we lose. It's not even about how we play the game. What matters is that we play the game. That we take the field, that, that, that we suit up on Saturdays and we keep this program alive. We play the game, Fred, and I'm telling you one day, not today, not tomorrow, not this season probably, not next season either, but one day you and I are going to wake up suddenly we're going to be like every other team in every other sport where winning is everything and nothing else matters. And when that day comes, well, that's, that's when we'll honor them. For those of you who may not know, this is the final resting place for six members of the 1970 Thundering Herd. The plane crash that took their lives was so severe, so, so absolute, that their bodies were unable to be identified. So they were buried here, together. Six players, six teammates, six sons of Marshall. This is our past, gentlemen. This is where we have been. This is how we got here. This is who we are today. I want to talk about our opponent this afternoon. They're bigger, faster, stronger, more experienced. And on paper, they're just better. And they know it, too. But I want to tell you something that they don't know. They don't know your heart. I do. I've seen it. You have shown it to me. You have shown this coaching staff, your teammates. You have shown yourselves just exactly who you are in here. When you take that field today, you've got to lay that heart on the line, man. From the soles of your feet, with every ounce of blood you've got in your body, lay it on the line until the final whistle blows. And if you do that, if you do that, we cannot lose. We may be behind on the scoreboard at the end of the game, but if you play like that, we cannot be defeated. And we came here today to remember. Six young men and 69 others who will not be on the field with you today. But they will be watching. You can bet you behinds that they'll be gritting their teeth with every snap of that football. You understand me? How you play today, from this moment on, is how you will be remembered. This is your opportunity to rise from these ashes and grab glory. We are. We are. We are. Funeral's in today. After that clip, I'm ready to go play for the Thundering Herd. But if you follow the trajectory of the story of Marshall University, Coach Jack Lingell would only win six games in six seasons that he was the coach. 
but the school remembers that he was the coach that helped them remember and helped them get back on the field. And eventually, Marshall University would become a powerhouse. They'd become a destination for recruits such as Ahmad Bradshaw, Chad Pennington, Byron Lefwich, and the Hall of Famer Randy Moss. They would win national championships. And to this day, on the same day, at the same time, there's a fountain in the middle of the school that honors this team. And they always remember that they chose to rise from the ashes and to keep going on. And that's my hope for you today. Is that you can kick and scream and you can shake your fist at God. And be upset about the trials that you're going through. And I get it. I've been there. Or you can say, you know what, God? I'm ready to move on from this. Not just move on and forget about it, but I'm, let, I'm ready for you to help me deal with this. To learn what I can from this. Because I'll tell you, sometimes you can't learn lessons in life until you go through something really hard. I think that's when God speaks to us the loudest. And so I'd like to pray for you today. If we could all bow our heads and close our eyes. I just feel prompted to have two types of invitations. First of all, there may be some of you in this room that don't follow Jesus at all. We're glad you're here. We hope that a story from a movie has inspired you to take a look at your heart and take a look at your life and realize there's something big that's missing. It's the presence of God in your life. It's, you want something different. And I'll tell you, there's nothing in this world that's going to fill that void in your heart more than Jesus. You don't have to have all the questions answered to your theological questions or life questions. You don't have to have it all figured out. Your life doesn't have to be figured out. You can choose to follow Jesus today, and I promise you that you're going to have an advocate and somebody on your side that's going to help you get through life. And so if you're here today and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, you've never invited him to be in life with you and to help you go through this, I want to give that invitation to you today, either here in person or online. And so because this is personal, this is private, I would ask that we keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And all I want you to do, I'm not going to make you do anything crazy, but if you would say, you know what, I, I want Jesus to be part of my life, or some of you that have walked away from him, and you know today's a time to, to rededicate your life to Jesus, all I want you to do is I'm the only one looking. If you could just raise your hand for me so I could see it, and then you could put it right back down. Anyone that wants to receive Jesus today, you could just raise your hand and put it down. But let me pray for all of us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these true words of James. That, Lord, we don't understand it, but Lord, would you help us to consider it joy when we go through tough things. God, I pray for every person in here, every family in here, every situation in this room, and every person online, Lord. There's that thing that we're going through now or that we have gone through before and now we want perspective on it. God, would you speak to our hearts? Would you help us to see that you're like a loving father that's pinning us down as we get a shot? It's what's best for us. Help us to be more aware of our need for you. Help us to be ready to fight those moments of doubt and comparison and to never allow ourselves to go down the path where we run so far away from you that we run into sin and death. Pull us out today, Lord. Like the songs that we sang this morning, God, I pray that we could raise a hallelujah in the midst of anything. And God, we thank you 
for the ways that we can learn spiritual truth from things like movies. God, I pray that you'd be with us today as we go from here. Help us to have a new perspective on the trials that come in our life. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Ryan. Man, can we give it up for Pastor Eric bringing that word? That was awesome. Thank you, Pastor Eric. That's it's good. I needed to, I needed that. I needed to hear that. It's not easy. We consider it pure joy because it's an opportunity to know God more. It's an opportunity to experience His love and His grace. Let me say one last prayer, and we can be dismissed this morning. God, we love you. We thank you for your provisions. We thank you, God, for all your blessings. And God, I'm thanking you for the trials that I go through. I'm thanking you for the trials I go through. Whether I have control over them or not, I thank you because it is an opportunity to know you more deeply. I praise you, God. Thank you. And I pray for, for my church family. I pray for everyone who's, who's listening right now, who's maybe you're in the room or maybe you're online. I pray if, if you're going through something hard, God, I, I, if they're going through something hard, I pray, God, that you would draw them close and that they would know that you're right there, that you've never left them, that you have them in the palm of your hand. We thank you, God. We give you praise and honor and glory. And finally, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory now and forever. Amen and amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today, guys. Thanks for uh, being here. We will see you next Sunday. Have a great week.